join with you in the love and the prayers for Amy and for Andy Goebel. And um, they are many miles away, but close to our hearts, uh, close to our minds. Uh, I'm sure just this morning I had a, a text from a disciple minister in Medford, and she said, how do... How can I get in touch with Andy? Can you give me some updates? And, and so our disciples' churches have been praying for, for both of them and the family through this week. I want to thank uh, Pastor Jules and Pastor Andy for the invitation to come and worship God with you today. Uh, I want to thank Portsmouth Union Church also for your welcome, for your unique witness here in St. John's for your strong and sacrificial giving to Disciples Mission Fund. This extends your ministry throughout the Northwest, the nation, and the world. And through your mission giving, both with Disciples and with United Methodist Missions, you're helping to start churches and support refugees and dig wells and send youth to camps and train pastors. Yesterday, 32 people met in Portland for ministry training in Spanish provided by Disciple Seminary Foundation, the uh, third semester uh, in a two-year course. So we're, uh, we're praising God for that and for the mission giving that makes it possible. Thank you so much. And like, um, like many disciples of Christ, I've hung around Methodists a lot, many times in many places. Uh, from seminary at Pacific School of Religion and uh, in an ecumenical parish here in North and Northeast Portland years ago with the then the Patton Central Methodist and the Woodlawn Methodist and Pastor Luther Sturdivant then used to live right over here on Fisk and I'd bring his son home from youth group on Sunday nights and uh, more recently the UMC has blessed disciples through outdoor ministries at Subtle Lake and um, with Subtle Lake director Jane Petke gave us, I thought, a nice compliment when she said of all the groups that rent the facility that the Disciples Outdoor Ministry most reflects the spirit that Methodists are aiming for too at Subtle Lake. So I, I, I was blessed by that. Um, and this week, Claremont School of Theology, where Disciples and Methodists have studied together for 50 or more years, uh, Claremont will have their first classes begin in Salem on the Willamette University campus. So we're excited about sharing together in that way as well. I could uh, say much more about denominational stuff, but I really was invited to come here and talk about the scripture, which actually is another thing that we have in common. So let's get on to that. Um, the book of Jeremiah is our text today in chapter one. And chapter one gives us the who, what, why, where for the entire book of Jeremiah. And we call it Jeremiah, but the who in chapter one really is God. And Jeremiah says that from the beginning. The voice of God came to me, to Jeremiah, saying, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The when was in the 7th and 6th century before Christ. Over the span of four decades, 
all the way from the hopeful years of the reforming King Josiah until after the despairing years following the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BCE. Jeremiah lived in a time when a lot of dreams died. Jeremiah lived in a time when a lot of things were falling apart politically and culturally and, and spiritually. The where of our passage is uh, Judea, a town three, about three miles northwest of Jerusalem, known for harboring priests of the resistance. That kind of like, sounds like Star Wars, uh, doesn't it? But, <laughs> but there was a, a group and even a family of priests who had a tradition of speaking out against the king when the king was sinning royally, you might say. And Jeremiah came from that tradition. And so even before he was born, that was shaping his context. The what in Jeremiah? Well, you might, might expect that Jeremiah himself said, say what? When God said, you are going to be a prophet. He, he resisted. He resisted it and said, uh, I'm only a youth. And I don't know how to speak. But God was not buying it. The response came, do not say that I am only a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I shall send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. Here words we hear throughout scripture, I am with you. And then in verse 10, there's a series of six verbs. The first four sound pretty negative. I appoint you over nations to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, and to overthrow. And then there's two, finally, that sound more positive. To build and to plant. Then there's the why. For Jeremiah, why be a prophet? For other people, why listen to him? In short, because the world's all messed up and there's a word from God that can help. Okay? That's the why of the prophetic tradition. Because some plans, structures, schemes, and dreams line up with God's vision for humanity more than others do. And that's why we're here today. That's why we have the prophets. That's why we open our Bibles. That's why we need to remind ourselves of Jesus and his ways daily. Now, Jeremiah, as a book, has 52 chapters. And a lot of it just mostly consists of Jeremiah complaining. Okay? <laughs> Complaining about the world. We can understand that. And he certainly had his reasons. I get that. I do find it hard to read all of that. Because like today in our political world. Sometimes in the academic world. Sometimes in our personal lives. It's a lot easier to identify the problems. Than to figure out what to do about those problems. It's easier to take things apart. Than to put things together. My wife, Kathy, once asked a youth group to create their own gospel. She said, list on a sheet all the stories about Jesus that you can remember from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And then you can put them in any order that you want to tell the story of Jesus. So they said, okay, they did that. They worked on it for a while. They made their list. And then uh, they gave it to her. They put the Last Supper first. At the beginning of the gospel, she said, why did you put the Last Supper first? It's called the Last Supper. They said, well, if we have it first, they could get together more times for communion. And I really love that story because disciples are kind of known for getting together for communion very frequently. But whatever the challenge, it's easier to take things apart than to put them back together, easier to deconstruct than reconstruct, or in the words of our scripture, easier to pluck up and pull down than to build and to plant. And that's what's great about Portsmouth. That's what's great about this church, seriously. You saw a huge need for affordable housing in Portland. It would have been a lot easier to talk about it than to do something. Amen? It would have been easier. <laughs> it would have been easier. The thoughts probably occurred a couple times uh, throughout the process. But that's not the course that you chose. In fact, that's not <clears throat> the course that you were called to follow. It did take some plucking up. It did take some pulling down also in the process in order to build. Building something, not just complaining about a problem, takes a lot of work. Last week, people from four Oregon Disciple Churches went to visit our mission partners in Ecuador. We heard about uh, Brazil just now, and this is to the uh, north and the west, uh, high in the Andes Mountains of Ecuador. Uh, with our ecumenical partner, we work uh, with uh, indigenous uh, Christian communities in Ecuador. And in the last few years, we've had several microloan projects where we raise the money here and we send it there. A local women's organization then provides loans of about $800 each to 25 families at a time to grow onions or raise animals or otherwise have families develop their own source of income. And that's at high altitudes. Uh, Jules has been at high altitudes this week. All of these communities are higher than Mount St. Helens. <laughs> And in two of those areas that we worked recently, Roma Rios and Maca Atapalo, uh, we've had these microloan projects and there happen to be Methodist faith communities in those small communities in Ecuador. Uh, first time I went to Roma Rios, we went to church on Sunday and I saw the logo and it said, that looks a lot like the Methodist logo. Well, it's because it was a Methodist church. <laughs> made sense. And uh, then in another third community, Pihal, I met a pastor and she said she was taking uh, seminary courses online from Puerto Rico with a grant provided by Disciples Global Ministries. So when I say your mission giving does more than you know, it does more than any of us really can, can name. 
So I preached at this Methodist church in Roma Rios, Ecuador. And like your pastors here, Pastora Blanca there is bivocational uh, because of the microloan project. She now has a second source of income so she can uh, continue in ministry. And our ecumenical partner called Fidisi helps with the details, the science, the accounting, the uh, childcare, <laughs> Uh, the economics, all of that, because planting in Ecuador, like building in St. John's, can get very complicated. John Wesley said, I got that in there too, Jules. John, John Wesley said of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, that it take, has metaphors taken from architects and gardeners. From architects and gardeners, and both kinds of work can run into a lot of obstacles. Hmm? And today, finding the basics of life for everyone to get what they need to live gets complicated, whether in rich countries or in poor countries. To build and to plant in a world that plucks up communities, such as after the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians 2,500 years ago, or in our time to violence or climate change, to build and to plant is a calling, each time with its own who, what, when, and where. For Christians, the why is always the same. Things have gotten messed up. It's hard for people to live, and there's a word from God that can help. Studying this passage from Jeremiah, I came across a commentary by a Methodist pastor in Texas, Dr. Alphanetta Wines. And I thought, Methodist pastor, okay, let's see. And then I saw that she graduated from Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, where a disciple school where my brother went. And she earned her Master's of Divinity across the street at the Disciple Seminary, and went back for a PhD in Biblical Interpretation at the same seminary later. So I thought, great, I can learn about this passage and sneak in another reference to disciples in my sermon at, <laughs> at the same time. Dr. Wines says about Jeremiah 1, the fact that God knew him before he was born, even before he was formed in his mother's womb, does not exempt Jeremiah from problems. Mm. Even someone chosen by God, like Jeremiah, did not get a pass from problems. In fact, people who respond to a call, who are chosen, who choose to respond to their call, have their own regular problems of life and generally get involved in larger problems as well. Nothing says that like the cross of Jesus. And yet there we find our hope. Dr. Wines continues, Jeremiah's faith was big enough and bold enough for the difficult, complex task to which God had called him. I'm going to say that part again. A faith big enough and bold enough for the difficult, complex task to which God has called him. That is so Portsmouth. A faith big enough and bold enough to take on complex tasks. 
with all the regular stuff you have of being a congregation too. And in a way, that's the calling that each Christian has to grow into a faith big enough and bold enough for a complex problem, big and small and near and far. Becoming blessed to be a blessing with others. Jeremiah was sometimes called the weeping prophet because of all those middle chapters where he's lamenting. And yet he shows us what to do when the problems, personal or public, could overwhelm us. Sometimes you get to a point in life and you think, the problems are just too much. What do we do? We're called to build and to plant. We're called to do something positive that will keep our hope up and share hope with others. As a church, as Christians, we need that faith big and bold enough to build like architects, doing all we can with our own efforts. And we need a faith big and bold enough to plant like gardeners, like farmers, combining our efforts with the growth, hope, and new life that only God can provide. Dr. William Barber is a Disciples of Christ pastor. He spoke at our General Assembly last month in Des Moines. And later on a national TV interview, the interviewer, in a very honest moment, he said, the interviewer said, I'm, a, I'm an atheist pastor, and can, what can you say to me to help me find hope? I have trouble finding hope these days. Dr. William Barber said, and he said, if I've been on this, but, but he said, in effect, live for others, live for others, and then we try to win the victory, or we sow the seeds of a victory yet to come. In Jeremiah's words, we build and we plant. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. May God bless you. May God bless us with a faith big enough and bold enough to build and to plant as God has called us to do. Thank you, Doug.